0: Today, however, this is kind of bittersweet. Like, I might get emotional to this morning because today is our last sermon in the book of John. Like, it's crazy because this is a journey that began on March 21st, 2021. Think about it. It's 2023. Our very first sermon in the book of John happened on March 21st, 2021, and roughly 65 sermons later, it has brought us to Today. 65, like, 65 sermon. Now, we, we broke things up. We had a couple other things happening happening in there. But we're finishing that journey today. And a couple weeks ago, uh, Josh preached out of the beginning portion of chapter 21. And uh, I've heard some scholars say, I've heard some pastors say that chapter 21 is a little bit strange. It's almost like this anticlimactic, like, like add-on, like this little epilogue at the end of the book of John because... John 20 ends beautifully and strong. If you remember John 20, verses 30 and 31, it says, And Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Roll the credits, right? What a beautiful, like, that would be a great ending to a book. But then we get another chapter, we get another story of Jesus meeting his disciples along the Sea of Galilee. Some of your versions might say the, the Sea of Tiberias or maybe Lake Tiberias. And Peter, as they're waiting, he decides they're going to go fishing. And six others that are with him, there's seven disciples in total in this story, they all decide that they're going to go fishing with him. So they go off fishing. Beginning of chapter 21. You can, you can read it, you can thumb through it as I'm talking here but they all decide that they're going to go out fishing and they're out all night and they caught nothing. Ever been in that situation? I've heard that if you don't want to be in that situation, you go fishing with Bob Lordson because that guy always catches fish, I hear. Right? And so Jesus shows up and he calls from the shore and they're out from uh, off the shore a little bit, about 100 yards offshore, and Jesus is there and they don't really recognize him yet and Jesus calls out. He's like, children, have you caught any fish? Right? You ever been in that situation where, like, fellow fishermen, they're like, "Catching any? It's like a one word in Wisconsin lingo. "Catching any. Catching any? Have any luck? And they say, no. No. And Jesus says, cast your net on the right side of the boat, and you'll find some there. And our story last week points that it actually gives us a number, which is funny to me that Scripture would be, like, so detailed at points where it's going to give you 153 fish the number of fish that were caught. Then Jesus is on the shore. They come dragging these nets in. Peter, like, jumped in the water. And they pull their nets ashore. None of them were broken. And Jesus is there. He's got a fire going, and he's got some fish on the fire already for them. And he invites them to breakfast. And it's, what's interesting is that our text says that no one asked who it was because they knew who it was which is an interesting phrase because like there was something about this resurrected body that must have looked a little bit different because they they knew who it was based on, based on like how he spoke and what he said, but there must have been something different. Like even think back to John 20 earlier with Mary Magdalene, right, at the tomb. She doesn't recognize him at first. She, she assumes that he's the gardener. Like where have you taken him? Well, here... It's interesting because there must have been something different because why would you put a note like that in the text? What was different about this body? But anyways, this brings us to our text today. John chapter 21, we're going to read, start in verse 15 today. So if you have your Bible, if you have your Bible app, we'll be reading from the ESV, so if you want to jump in there with me, it says this. When they had finished breakfast... Remember, Jesus made him breakfast, some fish and some bread. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, He said this to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Verse 20, Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also leaned back against him during the supper and said, Lord, who is it that's going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is it to you? You follow me. Exclamation point. So the saying spread among the brothers that the disciple was not to die yet. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die, but if it is my will that he remains until I come, what is that to you? Verse 24 This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things, and who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. Now there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you and praise you for your word and that it is perfect. It's perfect. Even though we don't grasp it all, even though we don't completely understand, sometimes when we read it, we go, man, I wish you would have said more about this. You said what you said. You gave us what you've given us, and it's perfect. We don't lack anything with the word of God and the spirit of God alive in us. And so I thank you and praise you for what you've recorded for us, what John wrote down for us, empowered by, inspired by the Holy Spirit. These words of yours that are life to our soul. And so again, today, God, I pray that we would be humble before your word, that you would again show us who you are and show us who we are, and that we might be more deeply in love with you followers of you not like begrudging teenagers that dad told them to take out the trash do your do your chores but God that we would be just wonderful worshipful followers of you doing your will gladly out of worship we love you we thank you we praise you in Jesus name Amen so In our text today, in our text over the last couple of weeks, in this chapter, there are just some wonderful parallels uh, to almost like the beginning of the story, the beginning of Christ's ministry, the beginning of the gospel accounts. There's some beautiful parallels here at the end of this gospel in Christ's earthly ministry. Like I think about the confirmation that this gives of the original calling. There's such wonderful parallels to when Jesus first calls his disciples and this moment at the end of this book. Think about Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 and 19. And Mark's account is actually very similar to this. But in verse 18, it says, While they were walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, same sea, right? Same place, same sea, saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, right? Peter's here today, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, told Peter today. Follow me, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men, right? And then in the following verses, you see that he finds James and John. They're mending their nets, and he calls them also to follow him. So he calls a bunch of fishermen at the Sea of Galilee to follow him. So Jesus calls them. The beginning of his ministry, they were fishing. Here again in our text today in chapter 21, they are fishing. And there's some speculation on why. And I think Josh even touched on this a few weeks ago. There's some speculation about why they were fishing. Why were Peter and these six other disciples fishing that night? Was it that they were just killing time where Jesus is like, hey, go, go away from me in Galilee, and, and and go, and they're just like, well, wait and fish. Was it that? They gave up. Like, they weren't sure what to do. Like, there was this uncertain time where he was crucified, and now, now they've seen him, but like, what now? Like, what now is going to happen? Let's just kind of go back to our old life and do what we've always done. Let's go back and ply our trade, right? We, the family business, right? Maybe sons of Zebedee, let's go back to Zebedee. Let's go, let's go fish some more. Maybe Peter felt like he really blew it, disqualified himself altogether. Like, I know that he called me here at this sea, here at this lake a long time ago, but man, I denied him three times. Like, me, like I'm not worthy to follow him. I'm not worthy to do his will. I'm not worthy to follow him. I'm just going to go back to my old life and do what I did. There's some speculation along those lines. But yet this night, Chapter 21, like like I said, there's this beautiful parallel to that original calling. If you look at Luke's account, and when he calls his disciple, look at this, okay? Luke chapter 5, we'll start in verse 1, actually. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on uh, on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. That's also the lake of uh, the Sea of Galilee, okay? There's multiple... Some of your versions are going to say uh, the Lake of Tiberias. Some are going to say the Sea of Galilee, uh, Lake of Gennesaret. Like, it's all the same place. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Setting in into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon. Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered. What does he answer? This is back in Luke chapter 5. Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. We toiled all night. Same thing happens in chapter 21. Catching any? Nope. We've been out here all night. But at your word, he says, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish And their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. They came and filled both boats so that it began to sink. That's a lot of fish. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. So also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to the land, they left everything and they followed him. They left everything. So another night, fishing all night, caught nothing. Another night on the Sea of Galilee, Jesus says, fish over there, try again. I know you've toiled all night. I know it didn't work out for you. Cast your nets on that side. Cast your nets over there. So great a catch. Another night, so great, the nets were overfilled. I think about the call to the disciples here, and I've said this before. You've probably heard me say this before. There's a real problem with... Our church culture sometimes. Where we think about the, the call to salvation is, is very me-centered. Like there is, like God calls us to himself and we, we receive salvation. We receive eternal life. And some of us, we can get it kind of messed up in our heads where it's like, that's everything. It's that fire insurance. Maybe you've heard people call it that way, right? I don't have to go to hell and I get to go to heaven now. And so this salvation thing becomes all about me. But there is a, the calling to Christ is not about me. The calling to Christ is not about my salvation. It is about the glory of Christ. It is about something that is broken, something that is Rebellious and sinful, something that has been stained and tarnished by sin, being completely cleansed and restored so that the glory of that restorer will be seen by all. My salvation is not about me. Your salvation is not about you. It is about the glory and the mission of Christ. Do you notice like in in Luke 5 or in in the beginning of uh, Matthew or Mark or or even uh, John's a little bit different, but like in the beginning when he calls to the disciples, when he calls the disciples, he's like, come follow me and he doesn't say, come follow me and I'm going to give you eternal life. Come follow me and you're going to have salvation. Come follow me and I'm going to wash away all your sins. He says, come follow me and we're going to catch some men. Like, the call to Christ, yes, the the call to redemption, the call to salvation is, yes, he cleanses us, he washes us, he makes us his own. But closely tied to the call to Christ is the call to mission. And I don't know if we understand that. When I look at the, the American church, like, unfortunately, it becomes all about me and my thing. It becomes all about me and my salvation, and we have a really hard time of going outside of us and into a dark world with the mission that we've been called with. Come follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Think about, uh, even in this story, like, Jesus, in, in, in both cases, he says, try, try on the other side of the boat, Cast your nets one more time, and they're like, we've toiled so hard. We've been doing this so long, but at your word, like, we'll do it. We'll do it, Jesus. And you see the catch of fish. Like, I I think about it in my own life. I think about it in my own way of ministry. So many times, like, we have good wisdom, (laughs) We have good methods. We have good approaches to things that, like, are good. It seems like by men's standards, it's good and it's right and it's wise. But yet God has a different way. And sometimes I feel like I toil and I toil and I toil, and I'm like, God bless it. God, please, come and bless it. God, please. And God's like, yeah, no, because I wanted you to do it this way over here. (laughs) If you just do it this way over here, there's the blessing. There is the, the produce, there is the fruit over here. Like, but instead, like I got my own thing going. I, I, we used to describe it this way. like You got, kind of got your own thing, and you're like, God, keep up. Try to keep up, okay? Kind of follow my life and my ambition and my ways, and, and please bless it. And he's like, no, but you're, I, I claimed it all. Your ambition is now not a thing. It's my will and my ambition and my goal and my glory. And so just sit in that, and it will be blessed. There will be a catch, there will be a produce, there will be a fruit that is so full. Once they obeyed the word of God, there was great harvest. And I want us as a church to remember that we are on mission. The followers of Christ were called to Christ, not just unto salvation for themselves, but with the call that comes with mission, to make disciples, to fish for men, and to fish under the Lord's direction, and there will be great harvest. In your life, I, I can think of people in my life, is there someone that you've been fishing all night for? And you've almost given up? You've almost given up, like with no luck? I would just remind you and implore you, like, don't give up. Don't give up. Ask the Lord to speak to you. Ask him to show you where to throw the net in their life. Ask the Lord to show you where to put your net down, where there might be a harvest, and be diligent and faithful with it. Maybe it's acts of service. Maybe it's acts of kindness and love. Ask him where the open door is. We've been called to catch men. Let's fish where he tells us. Let's be led of the Spirit of God. Do you see it in the original calling of Peter and the disciples? At the beginning of the Gospels, you see it here confirmed in chapter 21. And in particular, in Peter's profession of love and and the call of Christ therein. Okay, so let's read our text again. Matthew chapter 21. Let's read uh, the the beginning there and verse 15 that we read. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to them, feed my lambs. He said a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes. He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said, attend my sheep. Then he said a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Again, you see this calling. You see this calling with, with directives for ministry, for for mission. There's beautiful parallels here too. I think Josh pointed it out a few weeks ago, right, that there's this beautiful parallel between Peter and his failure, Peter in denying Christ three times. Now Jesus calls him three times, asks him three times, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. You know my heart. You know what's in me. Before Jesus went to the cross, Peter, like in typical Peter fashion, we pointed this out in John chapter 13, Jesus predicts Peter's denial before he goes to the cross and Peter's like, I have this superior dedication to you, God. They may all fall away, but I will never fall away. Verse 37 in John chapter 13, Lord, why can I not follow you now? This is Peter talking. I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow until you've denied me three times. The account in Matthew, I think we read this too back uh, when we were in John chapter 13. Matthew 26 gives us a little bit more of the dialogue. It says in verse 31, Then Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered him, Though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. And Jesus said to him, truly, truly, I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter said to him, like, he's got to double down. Like, how, how do you talk back to Jesus? I don't get it, but Peter, typical Peter. He's probably more like me. I'm probably more like him than I think. But Peter said to him, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. Exclamation. Boy, and we all know what happens there, don't we? <laughs> Peter denied knowing Jesus, being a part of Jesus, three times. Like, this is the failure of failures. Like, I am not going to associate myself with you. Like, I've watched you. I've walked with you. I've seen your power. And he can't, like, he is shaken by fear because of what's all transpiring that night. It's the failure of failures. I, I think of this in the light of Jesus' words in Luke chapter 9 when he's talking about, if anyone would come after me, if anyone would follow me, if anyone would follow me, let him take up his cross, deny himself, and come after me. In verse 26 of Luke 9, it says, For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory, in the glory of the Father and the holy angels. The failure of failures to deny Christ. Not once, not twice, but three times. Here Jesus, in his mercy and grace, in the same way that he called him at the same sea with these same nets and these same fish, that when he called him originally, he here confirms it and restores him, and he asks him three times. Three denials, three confirmations. Do you love me? Of course, Jesus, you you know this. You know that I love you, and it's actually really interesting because there's some scholars that point out the differences in Greek words that Jesus is that Jesus uses and that Peter uses. And some say you know that there's significance to it. Some say you know these words are sometimes used interchangeably, so it might not be that big of a difference. But I, I at least want to just point it out. Jesus says, "Peter, do you love me more than these?" And the word he uses for love. Agapeo, right? It's it's that agape love. It's that love that is sacrificial, unconditional. It is like the highest level of love. Peter says, Jesus, yes, Jesus, you know that I love you. And he uses a different Greek word that is phileo, which is actually like more of a brotherly love. Jesus asks again, Peter, do you love me? Agape love. Jesus, you know that I love you, phileo love. It's it is just interesting, the call of love. Like, Peter, do you love me with that highest level of love, that life-ending, unconditional, if any, like no greater love has any man than this, that he lays down his life for his friends. Yeah, Jesus, you know that I love you. And I don't know if it's just that he can't come up with that because he remembers his past, he can't, like, I can't commit to agape love because I knew I blew it before. I, I I don't know. Like, like I said, there's some speculation there. There's some scholars that insist, like, there's other places in gospel where in the gospels where they are used interchangeably, like Phileo. Don't get me wrong, phileo is a good love. It's a good love. But we know that agape love, that love in Christ Jesus. We know that life-ending, lay-it-down type of love that Jesus has shown us. And Jesus is asking Peter, Peter, do you love me? What I love in this restoration is that the gravest of mistakes, denying Christ, like disassociation, like I'm not a part of him, like Jesus still reaches out to and forgives Peter. He forgives the gravest mistakes. And I want you guys to hear me today. Like, I, I, I know there's folks in this congregation that still wrestle with their past. I'm speaking of Peter, but I'm speaking of us. Like Peter, flat-out denial, the most flesh-filled, fear-filled, self-preservative moment, Jesus restores him. Both probably privately before this moment, but publicly in the the presence of these other disciples, he restores him. In the declaration of Peter's love, this affirmation of followership also comes in a set of three. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And with that calling, once again, in that calling, he says, Feed my sheep. In that calling, back to himself, restoring him back unto himself, he gives him some more mission. Follow me and I'm going to make you fishers of men. Peter, do you love me? You know that I love you. Feed my sheep. Tend to my sheep. Hand out my words to them. Give them the words of life. Tend them like, there's some pastors that'll point out the difference there. There's, there's feeding. He calls them twice to feed him. Then he calls him right there in the middle to tend his sheep. Like, there's this element of walking with people. Like, as a pastor, like, as Peter is going to be foundational in that first, that early church, to feed them the word of God, to walk with them in mercy and grace, handing out that same love that Christ is handing here to Peter. He calls Peter, restores him, and he calls him back to mission. Again, the call of the church is tied to mission, to catch fish, to feed sheep, finding and caring for the, goods, the good shepherd's sheep. I'm called as a pastor to feed and to care for, to tend sheep, but so are you. There's a real problem in the American church, and I hate picking on the American church, but it's really the only context that I know, other than some strips. There's a real problem where everybody leaves it up to the professionals. We'll put it. We'll put the money in the offering. We'll pay those guys to do their thing. We'll come here and we'll get fed. That's just not the case. As we're called to Christ, we're called to catch fish. As we're called to Christ and called to love Christ, we're called to love him by feeding his sheep. And it's not just reserved for a a few chosen folks that stand up front with a microphone or a few guys that meet on a a monthly basis in, in a conference room who are elders. Like as a church, as a congregation, as the people that have been called of Christ, we are called to mission of Christ. We all have a beautiful context to catch in tend sheep, whether it's your home, your workplace, kids' sports teams, golf leagues, doesn't matter. Like, you have a beautiful context that I will never, ever be in. I've, I've told you this before. Like, I've got, you know, my kids are growing up, and my kids are trying to figure out what they're going to do with their lives. It's kind of weird. It's kind of fun. And it makes me really sad inside. They're growing up. My kids are growing up. My, like, I think because I'm a pastor, there's a, there's a tug, particularly with my oldest boy. He's not here today, so I can talk about him all I want. I'm not going to embarrass him. Pray for my family. There's some, some sickness in our family. Um, but, like, I think there's a tension in him that he's got to be a pastor. Because dad's a pastor. And, like, like, I know as a Christian, like, I'm called to, to be a minister of the gospel. And so, like, I, don't, I, I guess I'm probably just going to be a pastor. And there's part of me it's like, no, don't do it. If he does. It's great. Whatever, whatever God has, but to help him understand, like, the, my call is the same as your call. My call, like, whether he ends up, like, he, you know, he's been in some coding phases, and, like, maybe he's a computer programmer. Whatever it is, he loves film, like filmmaking. Whatever it is, like, it doesn't matter. God gives us a context. You've got a context. To be the minister of Christ. You've been called to him. Now be a minister of him. Catch fish, feed sheep, wherever you're at. So if you're a lawyer, do it. If you're a doctor, do it. If you're a plumber, do it. Doesn't matter where. If you're a student, do it. Put down your net where he tells you to put down your nets. Hold out the word of God and call them to Christ. Your kids need it? Dads? Moms? You've got a built-in context. It is the, one of the highest callings. Catch fish, feed sheep in your own house. Let's continue to read. I could sit there for a long time. John 21, eight, let's do 18, verse 18. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted to, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. He said this to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said, follow me. So it's kind of it's interesting because when I first read this, when you, when you first read this, it almost sounds like Jesus like saying getting old sucks. Like getting old is rough. Like when you're young, you're vibrant, you get dressed by yourself, you go wherever you want, like your body is able and agile when you're young, it's full of vibrance. When you're old, you're not even going to get to dress yourself. People are going to have to lead you around, and it's going to be bad. It's not quite what he's saying, right? He, well, you have the parenthetical phrase there in verse 19. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to glorify God. So what you have here, we know from, from Christian uh, tradition, it's not in Scripture, but from Christian tradition that Peter was bound... And crucified in Rome under the reign of Nero. right? You will stretch out your hands, and they will carry you to where you do not want to go. Picture hands outstretched on a cross, nailed to the cross much like that of Jesus. but we also know from church tradition' reported that Peter insisted on being crucified upside down because he was not worthy to be crucified in the same manner of the Savior. Verse 19 again, he said this to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said, follow me. Now, that's something very practical there. There's some pastors that would say, you know, like, and then you get to this next, pick. maybe Peter and Jesus, like they're having this conversation around breakfast. And Jesus is like, okay, come with me. And they start walking down the beach maybe. But then I also just wonder, like, that words follow me. And I think back to kind of what I talked about earlier in the call in Matthew like or or Luke like if anyone were to deny himself anyone were to come after me to follow me let him deny himself take up his cross and follow me that's his call for you and me to follow him to die to ourselves to die to our will to die to our ambition and our end to live for his glory to catch fish, to feed sheep. Continue on in verse 20. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who had also leaned back against him during the supper and said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? And Jesus said to him, "If it's my will that he remain until I come. What is that to you? You follow me, exclamation point. So the saying spread among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die, but if it, it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? I think it's funny there that like, John has to clarify a little bit. Jesus said this, and some people took it like, this guy's never going to die? But he didn't say that. If, if he remains until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So Peter, Jesus, maybe walking down the shore, Peter notices that John is following behind, he says, Jesus, what about this man? What about John? And Jesus says, What's that to you? What does it matter? What's it your business? You follow me. Parenting is fun. Parenting is a it's a blast. But I feel like I have to have this conversation quite a bit in my house. Like, Dad, what about what but but he but he did but they but she it doesn't matter. I don't it doesn't matter what they did. I'm talking to you right now. You follow me. Remember your declaration the night that I was betrayed? Even if they all fall away, I will never fall away. Remember that declaration, Peter? You don't worry about John. You don't worry about anyone else. You follow me. I I think that even there's some of us in this room today, like we could hear those words. Don't worry about anyone else. Don't worry about that person, this person, your, your husband, your wife. You, you obey, you follow, you love Christ and walk in his calling to catch fish and feed sheep. You follow him diligently. And do it to your end. Do it to your death. Do it to his glory. You follow. Let me get to the last two verses here in our, in our book. This is kind of like John signing off. This is the disciple, verse 24. This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things. The One whom Jesus loves, right? I love how he's called himself that a few times in this book. Like he's like not saying his name, but. This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things. And we know that his testimony is true, right? He's an eyewitness. Verse 25, now there are many other things that Jesus did Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Even the close here to chapter 21, kind of similar to the close of chapter 20, right? We know that Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these were written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. The Holy Spirit gave us these words gave us this book recorded by the one whom Jesus loved so that we would behold him. Again, I've used that word a lot in this book, right? Not just, not just seeing something, not just recognizing Jesus with a mental ascent, not just recognizing or, or, or like having a, a further knowledge of Christ, but a knowledge that runs deep within our hearts that we would see his matchless worth. That we would truly behold him as the Christ, as Savior, as the one who's called us, and that we would believe on him. And that believing, right, that, 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 that same Greek word used for believing is, is the root word of faith, the Greek word for faith. It's a complete trust in him. Actually, there's some definitions of that Greek word that would be a cast your life upon So you believe in such a way that my life is cast at his feet. I cast my life upon him. And that by believing, that casting my life upon him, that by believing in him, I will have life in his name. That's the beautiful, beautiful work of Jesus. These beautiful words in this wonderful book, I've been so challenged and stirred. I've been so blessed to be able to preach through this book now. It is, he has changed me in in more ways than I could count because of these words. As we conclude, I'm going to ask the band to come. In a few minutes, we're going to go to the table of the Lord. But my encouragement for us today is that my, my hope and my prayer for this church is that we've beheld Christ in our study of this book.